Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome indeed to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond. So did you hear the news yesterday that Pope Francis, he's going to consecrate Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. That's going to be next Friday. That's March 25th on the Solemnity of the Annunciation. And in fact, I want to invite you to join us because starting today, we're going to begin a Novita for Peace that we will be praying every day leading up to the 25th. Um, Drew Mariani, he'll start that today. You can tune in at the three o'clock central hour. And I really do hope you join Drew today as we begin this novena for peace. And of course, you can pray with us during the family rosary across America this evening at 7 p.m. During that time of prayer, we're continuing to pray for an end to hostilities. We're also going to plan on broadcasting that consecration with Pope Francis next Friday here on Relevant Radio. It looks like it will happen during this hour of the inner life. Um, We're still waiting for confirmation on all of the final details, so I'll pass that along to you as I learn more um, from the Vatican. But, you know, Pope Francis, he has been calling for an end to the violence there since it began. This past Sunday, at the conclusion of the Angelus, the Holy Father said, in the name of God, let those let the cries of those who suffer be heard and let the bombings and attacks cease let there be a real and decisive focus of negotiation and let the humanitarian corridors be effective and safe in the name of god i ask you stop this massacre that's a quote from the pope and almost every day since the beginning the pope has made some sort of comment regarding russia and ukraine calling for peace calling for the protection of all life And the theme of wanting to protect all human life, you know, that's nothing new for Catholics. This is a matter that is continually highlighted by the Church as being of supreme importance. But when something like this happens, when you see this kind of war that happens, it's easy to go along and call uh, with that call to defend life when you see the acts of an unjust aggressor like Russia invading Ukraine. But there are many circumstances, many situations that are much closer to home for us where life is being threatened and we might do very little to speak up to try and defend life. Or we might remain silent because we don't know exactly how to explain or how to articulate why certain actions are unethical. Or maybe it could be even that we simply don't even realize that certain actions are problematic, that they can threaten to end a human life. Along with calling for 
prayers for peace and an end to violence in Ukraine. Did you know that Pope Francis has also asked all Christians to pray throughout this month of March for the protection of all human life, especially in regards to new bioethical challenges in our world? The Holy Father, he released a video last week addressing this call to prayer. And here's what he said in the video. He said, let us pray that we give a Christian response to bioethical challenges. It is evidence that it is evident that science has progressed, and today the field of bioethics presents us with a series of problems to which we must respond, not hiding our head like an ostrich. Applications of biotechnology must always be used based on respect for human dignity. For example, human embryos cannot be treated as disposable material to be discarded. This throwaway culture is also applied to them. No, that can't be done. Extending that culture this way does so much harm. Or allowing financial gain to condition biomedical research. We need to understand the profound changes that are taking place with an even more profound and subtle discernment. It's not a matter of curbing technological advances. No, we must accompany them. It's about protecting both human dignity and progress. That is to say, we cannot pay the price of human dignity for progress. No, both go together in harmony. We pray for Christians facing new bioethical challenges. May they continue to defend the dignity of all human life with prayer and action. Again, those are the words of Pope Francis in a video that he released last week. So what are those bioethical challenges? Well, if you break down that word, bioethics, the first part is simple, bio, right? That's, it just means life. Biology, we learned that in school. The second part, ethics, that's understanding the morality of a situation, the right and wrong aspects of it. And then we choose, hopefully, to act in a morally right manner. We behave ethically. And so with bioethics, we do the right thing in regards to life. More specifically here, we do the right thing in regards to human life. And when you talk about bioethics, it might sound like something that might not impact you. It could be something happening in a science lab or some research facility. But when you really get down to the most basic starting point of life, it begins with a pregnancy, a fertilized egg. And if we have a right understanding of the morality that surrounds something as common as human reproduction, then these principles will help guide us as we look at newer practices, newer technologies that might raise questions in the realm of bioethics. So today here on The Inner Life, we want to take this hour and review the basics of human reproduction, how the church helps to guide us on this topic with clarity, and how this guidance, it helps protect the health and the well-being of everyone. And joining us is our spiritual director today, Father Carter Griffin is back with us once again. Father Griffin is a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., and he's the rector of the St. John Paul II Seminary. Father Griffin, welcome back to The Inner Life. Glad to have you back here today with us. Thank you, Josh. I'm glad to be back. Well, and first of all, I think it uh, might be good to start out with a disclaimer here at the beginning of our show. Some of our conversation today might not be appropriate for younger listeners, and we're not going to you know, go into any graphic detail regarding human reproduction, but since this is a show about spiritual direction, we want to focus more on the aspects of understanding the Church's teaching on this subject, and 
how this allows us to grow closer to God, uh, you know, especially in a marriage, being open to life, how that can help you to grow closer to your spouse in that sacrament. But that said, if you are listening right now and you have a child there in the room with you, it might be a good idea to maybe turn it down, come back, find the podcast later. Again, the podcast always posted at relevantradio.com and on the Relevant Radio app. But with that kind of said at the outset, Father, before we even jump into the question that surrounds human sexuality and procreation, let's talk about the importance of not only understanding some basic principles regarding life and reproduction, but we want to be able to explain the church's teaching on these matters. This is also quite important. But there's this attitude that's been growing in our culture that says, why should it matter? Why should anybody care what happens in the privacy of my bedroom? It really shouldn't be anybody's concern but mine and whoever's there with me in my bedroom. So let's start there. Why is it important for us as Catholics not simply to understand this topic and how it applies to ourselves privately, but that we should be able to communicate these truths to other people? Sure. Well, I, I mean, the first thing to say would just be, uh, if we are convinced, if we are convicted that the gospel is true, um, that our Lord truly is the Son of God, that his teachings are are binding and, and good and life-giving to all human beings, then uh, there's something wrong if we don't want our neighbor to, to know that too, right? This is kind of the basic evangelical kind of mandate that every Christian has, uh, to spread the good news, to spread the good, the the, redemp, the, redemp, the redeeming teaching of Jesus Christ, uh, and to help people develop a relationship with Him. So I think the most basic answer is just that if something is true, we if if we have the slightest bit of of love for our neighbor, then we want them to have that truth, just like we would for anything else in life. Um, also, there are uh, there are very important kind of public. Oftentimes, these things uh, have the veneer of being a purely private. Uh, decision, but in fact, they have very dramatic public and co- consequences to the common good. You know, a good example of this is is the whole question of procreation and children and the raising of children. Obviously, individual parents have a right to raise their children and the way they think is best, and so forth. But that does have an effect on others. We can't just sort of say that's a purely private decision. And so, if we are setting children up to be raised in an environment where they will not be um, receive wholesome influences and uh, and whatever, even natural things, you know, proper health care and so forth, you know, <clears throat> then that affects that child. It affects um, that family, but it also affects that child's friends. It affects the wider community. Ultimately, it affects the country and the world. And that's how the, the future, I think John Paul II said that the, the future of humanity passes through the family. And so recognizing that the family is a private institution, but it's also a very public institution, and recognizing that it's not always going to be perfectly clear. So that's why the government is involved, for example, in the decision of what constitutes marriage, you know, which is a very <clears throat> debated question right now. So anyway, they're, they're, I think both, both aspects are important when we look at the importance. And when we're talking to someone individually saying, well, why, do you, you know, why are you interested in what I do you know, in the privacy of my own bedroom? Right, right. I'd say, first of all, because I care for you, and second of all, because I care for the wider implications of what you and I both do. And when we talk about whether it's you know, the, the realm of human sexuality or any area that we are informed by our faith, we're really talking in a broader sense about apologetics itself. And maybe you can talk just for a moment about what is apologetics for somebody who might be new to that term, and why is that important for us? Sure. Well, I mean, apologetics, the word apologetics really comes from 
um, a word meaning a defense, and, and not at a defensive kind of way, but rather like a legal defense. I mean, in fact, that's the word in Greek for it. It's it's a legal defense. And so in this case, it's a word that's been used from a very early stage in the church's life, um, drawn really from something that St. Peter says in one of his letters. First Peter 3.15 is a famous kind of the, you know, the, the, the foundation of, of Catholic apologetics or Christian apologetics. And St. Peter says, always be prepared to make a, a defense, an apologia, to anyone who would, who calls you uh, to account for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Right, that idea we should always be ready to defend our faith, and that means defending it with our reason. So it's a it's a, apologetics is really sort of a reasoned explanation of the faith. And there are some teachings that fall under uh, kind of both the divine law, but also natural law that we can defend positively through our reason. We can actually show that something is makes perfect sense and individual and for the common good. There are other things which we can only defend by showing that they're not unreasonable. Um, these are typically things more related to kind of direct revelations of Jesus. You know, the, the, the Trinity, for example, is an obvious case of that. Um, but we can show that that's not an unreasonable teaching, but even though we can't show it positively from the, from the force of reason. So those are, so those are some of the um, I mean, some aspects of, of, of apologetics. And, you know, to recognize that apologetics is not everything. It's, I mean, our faith is not primarily right. or only one in the mind, but our faith is primarily about developing and opening a path to a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship with God. And that union with God is something that our mind is an important part of. We're rational animals, and we have to engage the mind. And there's kind of an anti-intellectualism out there today, even in Christian circles, that we have to be careful of. But at the same time, we can't overstate the case. We can't overstate the importance of apologetics. I see apologetics primarily as one of like clearing away obstacles, you know, so that the mind is open to receiving the impact of grace so that our mind can be truly configured uh, to the mind of Christ. Well, and I think, you know, it, it's just a common experience. You like to be right as a human. You like to mm -hmm. be correct. You like to win arguments. But I, I would go back to what St. Peter said in his letter that you quoted there. You know, it's not only that we're ready to give a defense, but that we do it with gentleness and reverence. And that right there can be kind of the difficult thing when we get into these moments because we can get so passionate. Uh, we can get so heated in the moment when somebody, it just seems like, oh, they're not listening. They don't, they don't understand what I'm trying to tell them and how this is absolutely right. Can't they see that they're wrong? And then that gentleness and reverence can go out of the way and uh, you, you can end up doing possibly more harm than good in those moments. Um, any advice for somebody when they enter into those moments where they find themselves having that opportunity to talk with somebody, how they can uh, kind of sustain and perpetuate that gentleness, that reverence in their responses? Sure, yeah. Well, you know, I've been involved in this in seminary formation now for a while, and what we started to do very early on when the seminary first opened, John Paul II Seminary here in Washington, is we started apologetics nights with the seminarians where we would start with the arguments against the church's position. Um, and and we'd start with like thinking through all the ways that somebody could refute the church's position on whatever. And then we'd kind of look at the, at the Catholic position and then sort of what would a reasonable Catholic do to sort of respond to some of those. And so it gave, gave a kind of a real-time way of, lo of looking at what such a discussion could look like that is calm and that avoids the kind of the shrill antics of the age, you know, where everyone is trying to just basically uh, out-shout everybody else. 
Um, and so I like going into it with that sense of a reverence for the other person. You know, gentleness and reverence is not just about the topic, but about the person, right, that St. Peter is talking about, with that reverence for the other person. And even though they may have ideas that are very different from our own, but with that calmness, you know, as best as we can. And sometimes it's going to be hard, and I think sometimes we do have to, you know, we, we get passionate. And we, in a sense, we should get <laughs> We believe the stuff, and we're convicted by yeah, it. Right. We will get passionate. And, and so it's just a matter of sort of tempering that and learning how to, when the right time is to kind of, you know, step back and say, well, why don't we continue this conversation later? Or be able to honestly say, you know, that's a good question. I don't know. Let me get back to you. You know, those are, I think, are important phrases that we should have in our, in our, in our toolkit when we go into a discussion like this. Well, so today, as we do, you know, kind of turn our attention looking at um, the foundations of human sexuality, of reproduction, human reproduction. Um, I also want to mention that you've written a book that looks at not only that, but a lot of common areas in our contemporary world that can be points of confusion regarding what the church teaches the reasons, the explanations behind these teachings. And your book is called Cross-Examined Catholic Responses to the World's Questions. Um, the format I like, it's very similar to um, anybody who's read through any portion of St. Thomas Aquinas's Summa. You, you take a similar approach there in how you present the material for each topic. Um, give us a little background on the book, first of all, here, before we jump into... Um, reproduction, human sexuality. Uh, what are some of the other topics that you cover here, and why was this so important for you to to write this book? You know, I mean, <clears throat> to tell you the truth, it's kind of, I already gave the background in a, in a way, you know, when I talked about what we did with the seminarians, because this is sort of the the fruit of that, and co- going through different oh, topics good. with them, and going through the, the objections, and the Catholic teaching, and the responses, and uh, and that general format, you're right, it's sort of, sort of the scholastic method. This is certainly less, it's more of, more of a sort of a popular thing. It's less theological than that. But the idea is to go through, so we go through different ones like, you know, whatever, praying to the saints and Marian devotion, purgatory. And, and then you have sort of the section on the, on the church and the sacraments, you know, communion. Why can only Catholics receive Holy Communion? You know, can anyone be saved outside the Catholic Church? Things like that. Um, women, ordination of women, priestly celibacy, stuff like that, and then and the morality section, which is the, almost half the th- almost half the topics, would be things like what we're going to be talking about. You know, assisted suicide, contraception, in vitro fertilization, uh, transgender issues, capital punishment, pornography, same-sex attractions. You know, so it's kind of the <laughs> it's the uh, it's the all-star cast of the most neurologic and difficult issues of the day, which are the ones obviously that we need to be. F- sort of focusing on it and be able to talk about compassionately, but also with conviction and clarity. Um, and I, 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 to tell you the truth, I, I had no intention of <laughs> writing a book. I wanted this book to be written already, and I, I just couldn't find it. I mean, there's so many great apologetics books out there, and there really are. I think we live in a golden age of apologetics. But I, what I really wanted was something that kind of did the back and forth of the different points, of the, the objections, and the, you know. I really wanted something that's going to take seriously and not set up, um, you know, kind of uh, uh, paper tigers, you know. To, uh, yeah, you know, right, uh, easy uh, ones people, to people knock just, down. Yeah, yeah <laughs> just sort of things that, and I want to be like, let's, let's make this hard, you know, because <laughs> a lot of smart yeah. and even good people disagree with us, and let's take them seriously. That's right. 
Again, talking with Father Carter Eric Griffin today here on The Inner Life. And I'm going to open up our phone lines here at 888-914-9149. Today we're going to talk about understanding the Church's teaching on human sexuality, on being open to life, on human reproduction, and some of the other areas that we go into with that. Um, We'll get into some of those, but maybe you have a question on that topic. Or uh, what has helped you to actually have that better understanding of the Church's teachings regarding life, regarding human sexuality, 888-914-9149. And uh, Father, as we do talk about this, uh, artificial contraception being so prevalent in our society here, you know, the Church talks about being open to life in a marriage. Um, One study that was done and this this survey concluded in 2017, the National Center for Health Statistics they looked at the percentage of women who have ever used contraceptive, uh, any sort of contraceptive method other than natural family planning. And for the Catholic women who were in this survey, and it was a survey of over 7,000 women, 99% of them said at some point in their life they had used some form of contraception. And for those who were currently using at the time, only 11% of the women there that were Catholic were not using contraception. So that's still 89% of these Catholic women actively using. And I'm not saying that this only falls to women. They were simply the ones that were questioned in the survey. So presumably sure. there's plenty of husbands that are on board, you know, that, that they're of the same mindset in these marriages. Um, but it, it's, it's not unknown in our society that Catholic Church teaches pretty outspokenly against the use of artificial contraception. So as I was thinking about this this morning, it seems that, at least for me, I come up with two main reasons for such a high percentage of Catholics using artificial contraception, even if they have that knowledge of the church's stance on this issue. One is they might know the basic teaching, but they don't understand the reasons behind that teaching. And if they did simply understand the reasons, then that might be enough to help change their behavior. The second uh, reason that I kind of thought was it might be just simply selfishness and a lack of trust in God. Those are kind of the two areas that stand out in my mind. Is there a different area that you think might be that motivation for a Catholic persisting in using contraception in a marriage? Well, um, I mean, I guess there are a lot of them, right? One of them might also be just sort of momentum. You know, you kind of you used to doing this, and everyone's doing it. It just sort of seems like the right thing to do, and the church has kind of, you know, the church has changed other teachings according to this mindset. Uh, you know, it's probably just behind They're the times. behind the times, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Um, also fear, I think, just like the fear of another child. I don't know if I have the financial, emotional, psychological resources to handle another child. You know, stuff like that. I mean, but so there are a lot of reasons. Good, and and, and again, these are not bad people, um, and rational. They're making they're making decisions based upon the information that they have. But I often I, I think that it is often very uh, inadequate information. And I think that if they, you're right. I mean, if if there could just be a little more trust and um, acknowledgement that God is going to take care of them, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. There will be suffering, but in the end. Um, doing the right thing is always the right thing to do and always the best thing to do for us and for our family. So I think there does need to be a level of trust, but there are all kinds of reasons. It's like when we talk about any other moral issue for us or for, for anyone. I mean, there, there are lots of reasons for people lying. There are lots of people for st- people stealing, but we still have to look at, you know, how do, how do we convince somebody that this is not a behavior that will lead to their ultimate flourishing or to the, that of others. 
So that's, I think, we, we begin there, you know, like looking at why, why does the church teach uh, teach this about contraception, this very difficult contra, uh, kind of counter countercultural teaching. Well, and so let's get into that coming up here in just a moment. Why does the church teach about openness to life against artificial contraception? And we're also welcoming your phone calls here as we talk about this today on The Inner Life. Our spiritual director is Father Carter Griffin. And the phone number to call in, 888 You can also email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Welcome back to The Inner Life Today. You're listening to Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond, and today talking about understanding the Church's teaching regarding life, openness to life, human reproduction. This is also one of those conversations where might not all be appropriate for younger ears. If you have a child that's in earshot of the uh, radio or a speaker that you're listening to on a mobile device, on the app, or on your computer... You might turn it down for right now and come back and revisit the podcast a little later. Again, the podcast always posted daily at RelevantRadio.com and on the Relevant Radio app. But again, talking with Father Carter Griffin today, a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., on these topics of human sexuality and taking your phone calls at 888-914-9149. Father, before the break, we talked about um, artificial contraception, and why people might look at that as a valid option uh, for them in their marriage. And so it really comes down to why does the church teach that married couples should be open to life and that they should not use artificial contraception in their marriage? Uh, Can you just kind of help walk us through basic understanding of this, uh, since it's something that seems so misunderstood in our society? Sure. Well, and I think it's connected to a lot of other things that are misunderstood, you know, which all of which go back to the beginning of, of the scriptures, you know, the beginning really of humanity and uh, God creating uh, male and female, you know, the difference of the genders, creating them and and inviting them to, to be united to each other in such a way that they actually take part in God's own creative power, you know, that Eve, you know, uh, was the first to, to bring life into the world, a human life into the world. Um, and that kind of deep, deep uh, human sort of beginnings and origins of this, of this institution of marriage uh, means that we're, we're, pl- we're, we're plunged right into something that is far bigger than kind of another, you know, poll or a decision by the Supreme Court or, or, or even kind of technological advances which enable us to prevent conception today. So we're, 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 we're handling very precious uh, things and sacred things. And marriage is is precisely this this way, this bond that God has invented, you know, to have a man and a woman come together, uh, and they come together for two reasons, you know, that oftentimes we say it kind of glibly and it comes off the tongue for the, you know, the unitive and procreative uh, dimensions of marriage or purposes of marriage or ends of marriage. And that's true, but we can lose something of the reverence, you know, that those two terms really merit, you know, that that God wants them, this man and this woman to come together and to build each other up, 
not just humanly, but supernaturally, you know, that, that they help each other to become saints. They help each other go to heaven and that he will bless that union and enter into that sexual union in such a way that they actually bring more immortal souls into the world. <laughs> and, and when we sort of put it in those terms, then granted, that's not going to be the ideal always realized or perhaps ever realized, but that that's the, that's, that's the direction in which this beautiful institution of marriage is to be pointed. And so the church is always there to try to, as best as she can, lift up marriage and the nobility of marriage and, and the reasons for marriage, which have both of those in, in view, and that both of those need to be protected. And sometimes her most controversial teachings are protecting not the procreative, but the unitive dimension of marriage, which is you know part of in vitro fertilization, which we might be able to talk about. And on the other times, it's she's protecting the procreative dimension, which is where we talk about contraception, that what is wrong with contraception, and this is a big mistake, is not that it's artificial, right? Aspirin is artificial, but that doesn't make it wrong. <laughs> um, the problem with contraception is that it is a deliberate blockage. You know, it's, a, it's an action that we, what we want to do is we want to have the sexual act for one sake, pleasure or for unity or whatever, but we don't want this other aspect of the sexual act, which is its openness to life. And the church has taught consistently from the very beginning, in fact, all Christian churches did until just about 80 years ago. Um, so for 19 centuries, there was almost unanimity in, in, in Christendom about this teaching, because it was commonly understood that you can't deliberately block you know, this, this avenue for God creating life in the world. Um, and, and there are ways, naturally, that that can be done in which we're not blocking it, but simply not using the faculty of sex, natural family planning. But um, but actually blocking it is something that, that is wrong. And not just in a general way, but for every act. And the Church has pr pronounced that and pronounced it most recently, again, and most stridently in Humanae Vitae in 1968, a very controversial encyclical of, of St. Paul VI. So anyway, that's kind of the overall thing, and I know there's a lot in there that we can sort of break, break apart and talk about, but I think that might be a, a starting point for our discussion. Well, and even as you mentioned Humanae Vitae, and if... if somebody is listening and they haven't read through that, um, I would encourage you to go back and, and read through it. I think it, it was originally um, uh, given to the church, Pope Paul VI, 1968 sounds right in my mind. I don't have the, the, the year yeah, that's for right. me, but um, right around the time that the Beatles' White Album was coming out, I mean, it, it, it hit, and it's so prophetic in so many things that Pope Paul VI talks about, if you look at, he, at what he says regarding artificial contraception and the things that will follow, it's where we are currently in our society. And he, he really did just see so clearly into the future what this would bring about. But, you know, you might say, okay, well, there's a pope, a man, who is celibate and unmarried, and here we are on the inner life, and you, Father, you're a celibate, right unmarried priest and why would you have anything worth saying on the the topic of marital relations you're not married why would you have anything that's worthwhile here uh, how would you respond to that sure I think it's a great question it's a question that I probably would have if I were you know, in a different position or before my conversion to Catholicism but I, I think that there's a number of layers to that. I mean, the first one is that we have a common, I may be celibate, but we have a common humanity. Um, I have my own family, and I am you know, I have many relationships, and uh, I have a lot of interaction with married couples. Um, I have a deep love for the vocation of marriage. Uh, marriage affects everybody. It's the, you know, the, whole, the, the, the whole common good. So, I mean, I think there are aspects to it that just at a human and natural level, 
but also supernaturally. I mean, we do believe as Catholics that the Lord continues to speak through his church. He said he would not leave us orphans, that the Holy Spirit would continue to guide her teachings, and that, and that thank heavens, we don't have to figure this all out on our own. And even when it's difficult, and sometimes the teachings are difficult for all of us, um, uh, contraception is simply one example of that, even when it's difficult, we have this clarity which has given so much joy to, to Catholics through the, through the centuries. And, and, to, and to have that faith, you know, that the Church continues to teach authoritatively um, and, and will not err, err in serious matters, in, in matters of faith and morals, uh, and that she has taught this consistently from the beginning, that there's no, it's not like this is a question of something that may, may change in the future. It, it's impossible for something this basic to change, you know, when it comes to deliberate blocking of the procreative function of, of marriage. And so we can trust that. And, and, and even if those who are teaching it are not exactly like us, which will always be the case, and you can say, that, well, you know, um, so-and-so is not of my nationality or not of my ethnicity or not of my temperament or whatever, but they can still teach things that are true, um, that, that are related to me. And also I think we can sort of look around and say that it's not just kind of celibate men in Rome um, who, are, who are teaching this, but, but in fact that many lay couples, many, many thousands, millions of lay couples who are living the church's teaching can, can, point it, can talk about it and talk about its effects in their own lives and the, you know, the conversions that have happened after couples have let go of contraception and, ta- and started to practice natural family planning and, you know, the, the almost... The, the ridiculously small divorce rate of the couples who are who are using natural family planning in place of contraception and how their marriage has grown stronger through it. So there's a lot of other examples too. It's not just celibate priests who are saying this, but in fact married people who are seconding it and saying, yeah, no, this is absolutely true, and it's changed our lives. So I think those are all maybe aspects yeah. of, of a response to that. Well, and as you mentioned that, you know, statistic of couples who practice natural family planning and the low divorce rate, you know, the the average, even among Catholics um, in the U.S., is typically the same as the national average. It's 50 percent, you know, give or take, depending on what um, study is being done on that, uh, you know, with when it comes to natural family planning. I, I think it's somewhere in about five to seven percent. You know, I mean, it's it's ridiculously low, as you said. Mm-hmm. Let, let's talk about an area of um, you know putting this into practice in a marriage, and this might kind of go into the realm of what we were talking about that that trust that we have to have that God will take care of us, that He will provide, that He knows what is best for us, and in a in, in a more realistic context, maybe somebody who might be listening today if they're in a marriage where they say, I want to be open to life, but my spouse, they're the ones who are adamantly opposed to it. What can I do? You know, I'm worried that if I push too hard on this issue, it's going to really erupt into some serious problems in our relationship. But I feel guilty by not being open to life in our marital intimacy. So any advice on how maybe you feel like you are starting to have that trust in God, but you've got a spouse who isn't there, how can they address that in their marriage? Sure. Well, I mean, I think um, a couple of things. You know, the, um, uh, an, an individual spouse can always make the right decision, even if the other spouse doesn't. And so a, a spouse to say, well, I, I, I want to be open to life. They can, they can be from this moment on be open to life in their own actions and what they can do. Um, they can be, they can, you know, the other spouse may be using contracept- a contraceptive device or pill or whatever, 
but that's not a decision that I'm making. And so I think that's one thing is recognizing that we are responsible for our own actions. Obviously, we want our spouse also to kind of have that concord and that harmony in, this, in the marriage. I think sometimes that take that may be a slower process, and we have to sometimes be very patient, you know, with the spouse, um, and not kind of be t- become too scrupulous. I think about you know, well, we had sexual relations even though my spouse was using contraception. It's like the church has always been very gentle in those situations and say, look, just you know, they, the, the spouse should know what your beliefs are and what, where your stand is, but you don't have to necessarily refuse sexual relations each time, you know, and and you don't have to say something every time, but just kind of that sense that maybe moving in that direction. I think at a natural level, um, and, you know, that, that it can be done gently and it can be done with clearly, but also without necessarily, you know, without causing the eruption. On the other hand, I do think that sometimes the spiritual side of this can be left out, uh, unintentionally, but left out. And, and I think praying for one's spouse and really praying to, their guard, to his or her guardian angel, um, you know, praying for clarity, praying for wisdom for oneself and how and when to say something um, is very important. I think... There are, even with all of those precautions in place, there are situations, I think, bless, you know, blessedly few, but, but situations where a spouse, you know, maybe f- sort of feels coerced by the other, by the other person, you know, to use contraception or, right, to, right. or to coincide. And, and those are obviously cases that are very delicate that would be difficult to sort of lay out a general statement for, you know, a, a general uh, line of action, but that somebody would, would want to get good advice from a faithful priest, you know, that they can talk to and get some advice on how to navigate that moving forward. And, you know, dr- most dramatically, there may be cases where, where separation is needed, you know, but that would be, I think, a very rare thing. Normally, you know, each individual can sort of make their own conscientious decisions, and then hopefully over time, you know, the grace of the Holy Spirit may work its way into the other person's heart. And uh, and that I've seen over and over again, many many there are many examples of that, you know, of, of real couples, you know, uh, with real families today who have had that experience and beautiful beautiful conversions and and changes. But that may not come, you know, and to recognize that at the end of the day, we still have to be responsible for our own actions. Our own actions, but still pray and don't give up hope there in that that, uh, situation if you're in that. Again, talking with Father Carter Griffin today and our phone line here in the studio, 888-914-9149 as we're looking at the church's teaching on human sexuality, on human reproduction, inviting your calls as well, 888-914-9149 and we've got Laura who's listening in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Hi Laura, thanks for calling in. You're on here. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, Hello. Yeah, go right reason, ahead. The reason I changed my stance and view on the church's teaching is um, I've been Catholic my whole life, but about four years ago I had what I would consider a conversion experience where I realized that I had been Catholic and going to church and all those kinds of things, but I didn't really have that personal relationship with God. And once I had a personal relationship with God, it really changed my view on everything within the church. And when I started looking at the church's teachings from the standpoint of God and his love for us, and that everything that he asks of us is out of his deep love and concern for us, it really opened my eyes into why the church teaches what it teaches. You know, Laura, I think that's a great point because, you know, one of the things that we've kind of talked about, we talked around a little bit already in the course of this, this these last 45 minutes is this, that without trust in God, this teaching makes no sense, right? Because it's something that not just is a countercultural, 
but it's a bold step out into the darkness sometimes. Like, I don't know what God is going to do. If I let him have control of my life, whether it's my vocation or my, my, you know, my future or my profession or my openness to life, I mean, when I give God control, anything can happen. <laughs> There's something kind of terrifying about that. And it makes no sense if we can't have trust that he's a good and loving father who knows what he's about. He knows what he's doing. And that trust cannot, you can't have trust in an inanimate object. You can't have trust in an ideology. You can't even have trust in a creed. You can have trust only in a person, in, a, in, in, in somebody who, who is able to love. And that means that there has to be a relationship, you know. And so if there isn't a personal relationship with God, then it seems to me that it needs to start there. And that will ultimately lead to the kind of trust which will open hearts and enable someone to take that leap of faith. Um, and, um, and, and it sounds like that's what's been happening uh, in your life. Laura, thanks so much for calling in and sharing that. Um, and Father, I mean, it really just sounds like a conversion of heart there. And, that, yeah. you know, all of us ho- hopefully are having an ongoing conversion of heart in our own lives where we are growing deeper in that relationship. Again, our phone number, 888-914-9149, as we talk with Father Carter Griffin today uh, about human sexuality, about understanding what the church teaches regarding life. Maybe you have a question regarding artificial contraception or maybe in vitro fertilization or surrogacy. And we'll get into those topics coming up next here on The Inner Life. You're listening to Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. Welcome back to The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond. So glad to have you listening today as we're talking with our spiritual director, Father Carter Griff. And again, talking about human sexuality, the church is teaching on life and uh, might be delving into certain areas that might not be appropriate for younger listeners. If you have a child in the room, you might, and you've just joined us, you might want to come back and revisit this program a little later. Uh, You can find the podcast. It'll be posted shortly after the show is over, and it'll be available at relevantradio.com and on the relevant radio app. Uh, Our phone number, if you'd like to call in with maybe a question regarding the church's teaching on life or artificial contraception, in vitro fertilization, some of those different aspects, you can call 888-914-9149. And Father, let's go back to the phones. We've got Cynthia who is calling in from Jacksonville, Florida. Cynthia, welcome to The Inner Life. You've got a question, it looks like. Oh, Oh, thank you, Father. Um, Yes, I had a tubal ligation myself. Uh, years ago after having my daughter late in life. And my daughter um, used natural contraception, had three beautiful little girls, but she also has a autoimmune disease. So she had a tubal ligation done uh, after her third. Since there is no fertilization that can take place, is that okay in the church? Um, it, is, what, is what okay then? I mean, having your sort of, having the tubal ligation. Well, I mean, in the mm-hmm. I mean, the answer is no. But but for the same reasons for for contraception, right? That it would be a kind of a deliberate effort to obstruct the capacity to have children. Um, and now there there are sometimes medical procedures that 
that end up, you know, resulting in someone not sort of being sterile, not being able to have children. That's that's one thing. But if it's a deliberate effort to do that, and it sounds like it might have been, then there then the, what the church would say is that there needs to be a different approach, right? A different approach to attaining hopefully the same ends. Um, one question that has sometimes come up is if some, you know, depending on the circumstances, it can be undone. It can be it can be reversed. Um, and is that required? And that, that in most circumstances, in almost all circumstances, the church would say, no, it's not required um, because of the, the risks involved and the expense and different things like that. Um, but that's kind of making do with the difficult situation that's already sort of taken place. Um, so it's true that it's uh, sometimes it's, it's referred to and it's spoken about in medical kind of circumstances as a kind of a normal, kind of just, a, just a, a routine decision that is made in the course of a medical diagnosis. Uh, but in fact, the church would say that there are very important moral implications that should be investigated before, before, you know, without doing that. Well, and Father, you know, following up on Cynthia's call here too, this is one of those instances where there is the lack of knowledge when that happens. There's yeah. just uh, an ignorance to the church's teaching on this. And I think it's important that we don't just focus on the side of this is wrong or, yeah, this is problematic, as with all of the things that we do in our life. Number one, if there's ignorance involved, you know, we don't know that we're doing anything wrong. Um, We shouldn't beat ourselves up over that. But God offers mercy and forgiveness for whatever we have done in our past. It just matters what we do now and where we move in the future once we have the knowledge of this is what the Church teaches, and here's why the Church teaches. That's right. You know, and I think there are many uh, resources available for people to learn, you know, what the, what the Church teaches, but sometimes they can receive it, but not receive it in a way that's actually, that they're able to receive it. You know, that, that, that they're not either in the state of mind or they haven't, they haven't, it hasn't been brought, proposed to them in such a way that seems convincing. And particularly if they are, uh, if their understanding of the Church is one that is fairly um, legalistic, you know, as is often the case with, at least I can, mm-hmm. we think we can talk about American Catholics. It's sort of, you know, they say that there's a lot of, lot of rules and regulations, you know, all these things you can't do with your life. And if that's sort of the understanding of the church, it's just kind of a moral entity that tells you what not to do, then it's going to be very hard to receive a difficult teaching like this. Um, as opposed to, as Laura was saying earlier, kind of that conversion in her heart four years ago, which opened up a more personal relationship with the Lord, and therefore of the church that he founded and continues to guide on earth, then it becomes a very life-giving thing. And, you know, just as we learn the rules uh, of playing a piano and all the stuff you shouldn't do to play the piano, but you do it in order to play beautiful music, so too are the difficult teachings of the church meant to enable us to live a very beautiful life in this life and in the world to come. So not everybody is there, and so we, and I'll and certainly, as you're saying, you know, if there are decisions in the past that we want to repent of, then you know, the, the Lord's mercy is, is inexhaustible. Absolutely. Let's really quick, we're, we're down to just a few minutes remaining in the hour, but sure. let's look at the other side of this. We've talked a lot about the contraceptive side. Let's talk about a couple who's trying to have a child, but for whatever reason, they simply aren't having any success with achieving a pregnancy. A common solution that's presented is in vitro fertilization. Why is this problematic from a standpoint of the Church's teaching? Why does this approach to having a child pose a conflict to our faith? Yeah. Well, as you said, it's kind of, in some ways it's the opposite, in some ways it's the same, right? The opposite in the sense that it, this is not obstructing the procreative, but the, but the unitive, right? It's saying that we want to have a child, but not in the, in the natural way that, that husband and wife come together. Um, but it's, they're the similar in this respect. Um, 
and it's a very it's a difficult thing to talk about, especially in this kind of a situation where people are going to be hearing it. They don't see your body language. They don't. You're not able to a- answer questions. Right. You know, it's it's sort of difficult. But uh, just to say it, you know, it, is that it 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 sort of retains a certain control over procreation, over the over the generation of of children, of immortal future, you know, sons and daughters of God. It retains a certain control that is that is meant to be in God's control, right? And there's a there's a commodification that can happen where we start to see children, despite with the best of intentions and sometimes the best, you know, attitudes and and, and demeanors. There there can be a sense in which I I want to have a child and therefore. I'm going to take advantage of this technology in order to have the child, even though there are dramatic and devastating colossal consequences in terms of children that are necessarily, you know, the reduction of, of embryos, which is to say the killing of embryos in the womb, which, you know, and, and other things like that. So there is not only a kind of a fracturing um, of the marital bond, which is intended to be open to life in this way that God wants to bless the, uh, the couple in this way, or bless the couple in other ways if it's not through having children and instead taking upon myself that kind of aspect of control, uh, but also some of the collateral damage that is unintentional, obviously, um, and done. Children who are uh, conceived through IVF are obviously still children, and they're still blessed and, and beloved by God, right. and they are still blessings, and it's important to say that over and over again. Uh, but it doesn't make the action right, you know, and I think it's, it, and couples have sometimes received, in my experience, a lot of freedom by acknowledging it and saying, yes, the child is a blessing and we've received this blessing, but we shouldn't have done it in that way and we need to repent of, of how we did it, you know, and, and maybe be a witness for others yeah. who are considering this as well. Father Carter Griffin, um, we're out of time here. The hour's flown by. Uh, a lot of calls that we weren't able to get to here, but maybe we'll revisit this again sometime in the near future. Uh, about 20 seconds left for a blessing for our listeners today. I'd, I'd be delighted to, Josh. Thank you. May the blessing of Almighty God descend upon you and all your listeners and your families. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Again, Father Carter Griffin, thank you so much for being with us as our spiritual director today. And want to say thank you to Thomas Engesser and Nick Sentovich for their help in producing the program. And of course, go back and find the podcast if you joined us late. You'll find it at relevantradio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. Tomorrow, St. Patrick's Day, we're going to be talking about St. Patrick and specifically understanding that mystery of the Holy Trinity. Hope you can join us for tomorrow's program. Stay tuned. Mass is next here on Relevant Radio.